0: Yeah, so welcome to the core class on biblical counseling and discipleship. So, if you see on the front of your booklet, that's what it's called, although it's been, we kind of called it biblical counseling for this, this iteration of the class. We've taught this once before. Um, but let me ask, let me begin by asking you what comes to mind when you think about the idea of, of counseling? What comes to your mind?
1: Something
0: wrong. <laughs> ah, yeah. Something's wrong if you need counseling, huh? Okay.
2: Seeking help.
0: Seeking help. Yeah. Seeking wisdom. Seeking wisdom? Yeah. We're in Proverbs right now. That tells us we need wisdom, right? Over and over and over again. It reminds us that we need counsel, we need wisdom. Yeah.
3: Encouraging the
0: discouraged. Encouraging those that are discouraged, yeah. yeah. Somebody else. What comes to your mind if someone said, Oh, I'm getting counseling? Maybe in the movies, sometimes I think about, or are like somebody's laying on a couch and yeah. explaining <laughs> their problems. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. The counselor's saying, How do you feel
2: about that? <laughs> <them> is... Yeah. <laughs>
0: How does that make you feel? Lying on a couch. (laughs) I'm not sure why that's the, like, stereotypical thing, but, you know, I think that would be weird in any other scenario where you're like, please, lie down on my couch, (laughs) you know. And let me just ask you lots of questions, yeah.
3: Advice?
0: Advice, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, those are all good ideas. And we're going to be thinking about counsel and counseling And we've called it also discipleship. You know, what would you say is the... How would you define discipleship? Or discipling? Helping one another to
1: grow. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Helping one another grow. Why are you laughing?
4: No, that's the title of the... (laughs)
0: Disciple. Oh, sure, sure. It's the, it's the tagline. It's a great tagline, right? It's a simple definition helping each other grow. It's okay to copy other people. Now,
4: standard definition of discipline?
0: Sorry? It's like
4: a standard definition. A standard,
0: of yeah. It's pretty simple. Easy to remember. Helping each other grow. Grow in getting big muscles. Grow in getting more degrees. How? Growing how? Growing to be more like Jesus. Growing to be more like Jesus. Yeah. So in some ways, there's these kind of two categories, counseling and discipling, discipleship. They're kind of, There's some overlap in the, in the two. Would you distinguish the two in any ways?
2: Well, counseling for someone like, as we all said, who needs help is going through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Discipling necessarily doesn't mean that person... Well, helping the other person to grow in Christ, but, this is, but that big person may not
0: be in any depression or trouble like that. Sure. Counseling means that that person definitely needs so. Okay, okay. So, counseling might be seen more as like a more focused and intentional help. Someone's in some sort of crisis, or maybe that they're, they're struggling with some particular thing, whereas, discipleship's a little more general. We need help, right, to follow Jesus. But maybe some people need particular care and help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on the flip
2: side of that, when I'm thinking about I'm discipling or I'm counseling, I feel very equipped to disciple, but I don't always feel very equipped to counsel. Like, I feel oh, "Oh, that's too hard for me. I don't
0: know. Oh, okay. Maybe because there's a bit more intentionality to it. It's a little more focused. You feel like, oh, I need some of those skills. I need some of those... Um, tools and training yeah yeah yeah
1: and one more thing we can uh, understand that uh, discipleship it is like consistency happening and uh, another one is some um, i think time limit we can see if someone they need counseling sure
0: In i mean special situation yeah great that's helpful someone so discipling should happen all the time in our lives. We should always be involved in discipling and being discipled to help each other follow Jesus. But counseling might be a little bit more focused and time limited. It might last only for a shorter while perhaps. And I think that's that's a helpful way of kind of maybe distinguishing these two ideas. But in some ways a lot of people think of counseling as this kind of professional thing. So people think kind of in line with what uh, Carson was kind of picturing, you know, a, like a guy with a clipboard sitting in a chair and someone lying on a couch and kind of sharing their woes. There's a little bit like it feels a bit more like a professional kind of job, maybe someone's got. But the aim of this class is not to uh, turn you all into professional counselors. We we aren't experts. I'm not an expert at these uh, these uh, tools and resources that we're going to be considering no, this isn't to make us professionals, but we are all seeking to look at what God's Word says and seeking to learn about our call to love one another, and particularly to love one another um, in helping them follow Jesus, helping them to grow in following Christ. And so really, this whole class is about a theology of care, a theology of care. It's equipping ourselves and one another, even as Tobin prayed that earlier, to help others change. And to, uh, ultimately, what we would love to see is not just those of you who are here today, but this to be part of the culture of our whole church. We want to equip the saints, um, first with you all here, but then even beyond that, we want all the members to be equipped and and to uh, uh, have a culture of care among ourselves. And ultimately, this is also that we might know and follow the Redeemer better. We would know and follow the Redeemer. And so we think of this not as, I mean, there will be times where this becomes a formal ministry, right? But, Sorry. sure, yeah. Oh, no, I, uh, you want to finish the sure, sure. So we want this to be a formal ministry in some seasons and some times, and some people who are, are equipped well and really gifted in this It might become more of a formal ministry, but we also see that this should be a lifestyle of every believer. This should be a lifestyle of every member of a church. Every Christian should seek to care for one another and love and help one another follow Jesus. Yeah. Jenny, you had a question?
5: I'm just a little confused. Um, So we were talking about how discipleship is a little more general. And counseling is more intentional. But, I don't know, in my viewpoint, I was thinking that discipleship would be actually a lot more intentional. Jesus, okay. Because um, Jesus had 12 disciples. Yeah. Know, those were intentional relationships. Sure. Um, like mentor-mentee relationships. Sure. And things like that. So, yeah. isn't that, Isn't discipleship a little more intentional?
0: Well, I would say discipleship certainly is intentional. But that when we think about the category of kind of counseling, if someone says like, oh, I'm really struggling with anger, there's a bit more focus to it versus discipleship should, is kind of all, all of life. And discipleship might include saying, hey, like, let's work through that thing together. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think there's a lot of overlap between the two. But generally speaking, most of the time when we think about someone who's going for counseling, it's more that kind of focused... Uh, let's, let's talk about that for several weeks, let's work through that issue, it's, there's a bit more of a point to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but certainly, of course, Jesus picked 12, and then even among them, there were men that he spent most of his time with, and so there was an intentionality, and he worked through truths with them, so yeah, sure. I wouldn't put them in totally different categories, there's definitely a lot of overlap. Yeah, great question though. So, biblical counseling is is giving counsel um, from the scriptures from god's wisdom not only not our own wisdom not uh, from our own ideas but from god's word and bringing that to bear to direct and guide our lives so yeah that's that's our that's our hope for the class that's our aim that's our kind of goal so even even with that being our goal it kind of has the insum- assumption that we That we need help, right? And as you'll see on class one, if you turn to page three of your handout, you'll see that um, we raise the question there, do we really need help? Do we really need uh, this kind of help from one another? And then um, how do we see that? How do we, and, and why do we need help? Um, is an important question to ask. So, if we need help, we should consider, does the Scriptures teach this? How does it teach this? What kind of help do we need? And uh, let's start at the beginning. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 1, and we'll consider um, right at the beginning of the Bible what it teaches us about our need for help. Can I ask somebody to read. I pulled the passage up on the screen here, but it's great for you to turn there in your Bible too. Um, Would someone be willing to read this aloud for us? Pradeep? Yeah. Great. Uh,
1: Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. And male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said uh, to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the
0: Heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Great, thanks, brother. So, um, are there any indicators here from this passage that man needs help or counsel or guidance? Okay, how do we see that?
1: Uh, When God said, um, God blesses them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. So how they will, they need some help, how they they will fruitful and multiply.
0: Okay, so we see God speaking, right? God spoke to them, he he said to them. So God's giving, what's he giving here? Uh, Guidance. uh, He's giving counsel. He's telling them how they should live. This is a basic idea of, of what counseling is, right? Mm. Giving guidance, giving instruction. And what do we see that God tells them?
1: Be fruitful and multiply.
0: Yeah, so we get he gives them commands, in fact. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So mankind was given, can you guys see that on there? Yeah. yeah. You can see that he, they were given instructions. They were given commands by God. God spoke to them. He told them what to do. They weren't born, or created I should say, With just an inherent understanding of what they were supposed to do. They could have been, right? But God created them and then blessed them and spoke to them and gave them instructions. So, what we see is, if you uh, look at your handout, you'll see Adam and Eve were created by God. And the first blank there on your handout is they were created to be revelation receivers. Revelation is just God revealing himself or revealing instruction, revealing his word to them. And um, what, what does, this, uh, what does the, these words that God says to them imply? If God issues commands... That they would obey it. They can respond either by obedience or by disobedience. So they were created to be revelation receivers. And the second blank we have down here is they were also created to be revelation responders. So if we think... once they had received these words, these commands from God, they had to respond to them as well. They had a choice. Now, this seems pretty basic, right? We're right back at the beginning of the Bible. We're thinking about passages you probably are all very familiar with. But it's important to see that even here, in creation, at the beginning, there's there's no sin yet. And yet, man depended on revelation. And man had to interpret. They had to receive and interpret. They had to... Try to understand God's word and then respond to God's word. And when man responds in loving obedience, what do we call that? Submission. Submission. Sure. Serving God. Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. And this is all ways that we worship God. This is how So we were created to be interpreters and to be worshippers. When we respond in faith and obedience to God, it gives glory to God. It's worshipful to God. That's how we were created. And we see that even at the beginning of creation, man needed help from outside himself in order to do what he was created to do. He needed to be given instructions. He needed to be given commands. So our instruction from God preceded the fall. They needed help because they were human, not because they were sinners, but because they were creatures, because they were created to depend on God. And so we see here, there's a principle for us that we see, even in chapter one of Genesis, that to be human is to need help from outside ourselves in order to understand and to live life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So the the first example of help that we see in the Bible is not person-to-person help, right? It was the wonderful counselor explaining life to those that he'd created in his own image. So mankind was created to be revelation receivers and revelation responders, to interpret God's word and to obey God's word in worship. Any questions at that point? Pretty foundational. I think this goes against the idea that we need help because of sin. You know, I think most of us think, I'm, pre- I'm fine until, oh, I got myself in some trouble with sin or I'm struggling with a sin problem. But the reality is, is that help, our need for help was, was pre-fall, pre-sin. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, they were perfect. Why
1: they need
0: counselling? Why did they? Because that's the way they were created to be. Okay. Yeah. So needing help is not is not inherently bad. Like we need we we were created to need help. We're going to see that in our next passage. Even let's consider. And again, this is before the fall. Uh, would someone be willing to read Genesis two? 15 to 25 for us. It's a longer text. Someone read it uh, nice and loud. I can do that. Great. Thanks, Pippin.
2: The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, You shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord, Lord God had taken from the man he made it into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is born of my bones flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed.
0: Mm. Thanks, Vipin. So again, let me ask, how do we see man's need for counsel and for um, need for help from outside of itself? Let's consider fifteen through seventeen. How do we see it there in that first paragraph? Anybody? I
2: think verse sixteen, it's pretty clear that God is yeah. commanding the man.
0: Yes, excellent, Vipin. So. so God commands them again. He gives more instruction, further instruction. Good. Are you going to add anything?
1: God also command was seventeen like he
0: clearly instruction if you eat what will happen to you. Yeah. So they get given commands, and they get given prohibitions. Right. He says how to live, eat of every tree of the garden. Surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's a positive command, right? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So God tells them not only how to live righteously and rightly, he tells them how not to live as well. They need instruction about how, what not to do. And this is before the fall, remember? We're not in Genesis 3 yet. And he gives them, he tells them what will happen. He counsels them and tells them, if you do that, you'll die. And so, once again, we see man's need for help from God about not just how to live, but how not to live. Sorry, if... uh, Yeah, um, what about in 18 to the end? Man needs a helper, fit for him, verse 18. Yeah, first he says it's not good, right? That man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. So man doesn't only need God. Adam doesn't only need God the Father. He needs another person. He needs a helper fit for him. Why do you think that Adam needs another person? To help.
3: Because it is not good that he should be alone.
0: Yeah. What's not good about Adam being alone?
1: And before death, I was thinking like Genesis chapter 1, 26, 28. Mm-hmm. God promised we be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And without you, how you multiply and prove fruitful? Good
0: question, pretty. How will Adam make more Adams and Eves if he doesn't have an Eve, right? So God made us not only dependent on him, but even dependent on one another to carry out his commands, to carry out his purposes for us. So we see, do you see that we were created needy, and and not just needy for God, but needy for one another, even without sin in the picture, Um, and what do we see? How does, how does, how does Adam respond when he, uh, receives this helper? He's excited. excited. He sings. He writes the first song that we've got in the Bible. This is delightful. So when we think of ourselves as needy, oftentimes we think of it as like, oh, I hate being needy and dependent on other people. And sometimes in our head we think like, oh, sure, I'll be dependent on God, but I don't really want to be dependent on someone or Lydia, you know, because we think of it as bad. But here we see actually it's 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 the way God made us. He designed us this way. It's delightful. It's good. And so it's good to have a helper. It's good to have a partner. Um, And not only in the context of marriage, though that's what's going on here. It's good to have help from one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So what do we see here? We see that uh, we are, again, we see reinforced that we need revelation. We need help from outside of our, ourselves, from God. But we also need help to know uh, how we should live not and should not live. And we need help from other people too. To fulfill the purposes that God's given us, the role that God's given to us as, as man and woman, we need other people. Any questions at that point?
4: How, how we say that uh, from this text that we need help from one another, like not Adam and Eve. From this, like uh, we just now said that we need help from like Adam.
0: Other humans.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Here in the text, it's only
0: Adam and Eve. Yes. And now we are saying, I mean, we need help from one another, but how we see Well, it? I see it in the fact that it's part of the way, so these are the first two humans, right? Yeah. But when there was Adam on his own, if we look back at Genesis 1, what does it say? God made this and it was good. God made this and it was good. God made this and it was good. But here, this is the first time we see something that's not good. Yeah. And what's the not good thing? It's that Adam's on his own. It, he needs another person. Now, of course, there's a specificity here with the fact that he needs he needs a wife to carry out the commission that God's given him. But um, but I think it applies more broadly than just a wife. You know, G- Jesus lived a, a perfect human life, and he didn't he didn't have a wife on Jesus. earth. So we can say that. We need help from others, and and, uh, I think that we see that even as built into what it means to be man and woman. Yeah, but good question. Let's jump into three. Now we finally get to the fall. So we've seen kind of some foundational truths that are true of humanity even before the fall, but now we find um, the fall, um, and where are you up to in your handouts? And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. So, what new ways do we see that man needs help? What new ways? It's not a trick question, I promise. What, what new character do we see? There's
1: a serpent.
0: There's a serpent. And as we know, as we read the rest of the Bible, and as we've heard from Revelation, this serpent is Satan, right? Satan, and he is a deceiver. So we have an enemy an enemy what else do we see seems that in verse
4: 1 the serpent was more crafty than any other beast Mm. which means
0: we need help to resist yeah so he's crafty yeah resist what
4: Temptations.
0: Yeah. So we see there's temptations, right? We have a tempter. We need
3: help to understand God's word. Eve says, Neither shall you touch it. But she's adding to the details of what God said.
0: Yeah. So she says, Neither shall you touch it. So she actually, she'd received revelation. I, I assume that was from, from Adam. It doesn't tell us exactly, but um, Adam received the instruction to be fruitful and multiply and fill up the world and to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So she must have heard some way, but somewhere along the way, it was turn, it twisted or added to. It, it wasn't straight, right? It wasn't cut straight. God's word was changed slightly. And the serpent, he introduces an alternate interpretation, right? What does the serp- what's the serpent's interpretation?
2: That
0: they won't die. That that they won't die. He hears the same the same information and he says, "No." What does that imply? What does his interpretation imply?
1: Is adding in God's word. Yeah. That you shouldn't trust God.
0: You can't trust God. What else? <laughs> kind of following on from you can't trust God.
3: You false instruction.
0: God's yeah. given you false instructions.
3: You don't need God. You can be like
0: God. You can be like God. God's a liar. He says, did God say you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? What does that imply about God? Doubt. Doubt about God. God's not generous. God's stingy. God's keeping good things from you. These temptations tempt all of us. Even today. That God's not got the best thing in mind for me. That His promises aren't true for me. That actually... If I went a different way, it would be better for me. That temptation is still around for each and every one of us today. And so these, we see that we, we have a different interpreter. So we were, we were created to be receiving uh, God's word and interpreting God's word. But there's also alternate interpretations. Some that just flat out deny God. First he starts with a question, but then he says, no. You won't die. He denies God's word, and you know the rest of the story. Of course, this sets off the the course of the rest of humanity and history that we live in a fallen, broken world full of sin and temptation. And so we can draw the principles that we have an enemy. He offers a different interpretation of God's word. We're susceptible to being deceived by this tempter and by these alternate views um how much more this was remember adam and eve had not yet sinned they didn't have a sin nature when satan first showed up how much more for us that are born in sin so that's the fall we could unpack that for even longer there's lots of interesting little tidbits in here that um i think textually uh would be really interesting to read you know um But we'll move on for the sake of time. These foundational uh, passages are so crucial for understanding our need for help. And understanding just who we are as humans. So let's look at Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Carson, will you read that for us?
2: Yes. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, As
3: long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin.
0: Thanks. So this passage here is from Hebrews 3, and is essentially a warning for us. Uh, We went through this in the midweek Bible study, and you'll notice in in, uh, Hebrews there's a lot of warning passages. And essentially all of them are, are kind of saying the same thing, which is like, listen. Listen to what God has to say. So what do we see here? There's a process that's described. Looking at verse twelve, what's the process? There's kind of a pathway or a process to to um, sin. What's the first command? Take care. Take care, and that implies two brothers. What does taking care imply? Being called to take care. Caution. Caution,
5: warning.
0: warning. I
1: think it's involve everything, money, money, emotion, time.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that yeah, there's a there's a warning here because there's a there's a tendency to not take care, right? We need to be told to take care because there's a lack of care. And what does that lead to? Our hearts. Yeah. Evil, unbelieving hearts. And what will that result in? Falling away. Now, who's being addressed here? Brothers. Yeah. What does that mean? Just the boys in the room? (laughs) Who are the brothers? Believers. Yeah. Christians. Some translations say brothers and sisters. Yeah, this is about this is written to Christians. So even Even in light of redemption, this is under the section about redemption, even as believers, as Christians, it's not that suddenly when we become a Christian, oh, now I don't need help anymore from anyone. No, we we need help, right? Because there's a tendency to not take care, and then that leads to an evil unbelieving, uh, unbelieving heart, and then that leads to falling away from the living God. Which sounds pretty serious. I don't have time to get into the warning passages in Hebrews. They're kind of complex. But I see this as a warning about drifting away from God. Losing, in a sense, there's a warning that, that you won't be saved if you turn away. Now, I don't think Christians can lose their salvation. But I think the warnings are there so that they might take care and believe and follow. So what's the solution um, what's the what's the solution to um, this this problem? This tendency, even among Christians,
1: not taking care of one
0: another. No, uh, I mean, what's the solution? What's the how how it, how do we solve that problem?
1: Yeah, it's
0: yeah we've got this. Command, right? To exhort one another. And he tells us to do that every day. day. So you need help every day. I need help every day. And he emphasizes that as long as it's called today, right? Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So one effect of sin is that it deceives us. It blinds us. And so, one effect of sin is spiritual blindness. How can this happen to a Christian? thinking about this passage I, I can't keep that well I can do I can do this how can this happen to a Christian
4: when they don't take care yeah and the very fact that they're not dealing with the evil that's there at the heart mm. and if we don't
2: have people exhorting yeah. us yeah isolation.
0: yes yeah. This can happen to a believer because not only are we needy by by design, we saw that in Genesis 1 and 2, but we're needy by virtue of the fact that there's a tempter, we have an enemy, and that even within, there's an enemy within. Sin that blinds us from seeing clearly and deceives us and leads us away from God. So, how can we avoid this? Well, it's by doing that very thing. It's exhorting one another as long as it's called today. So we, this needs to become, this is why I, uh, I said at the beginning, this needs to be part of everyday life. This should be part of our everyday life as a Christian. It shouldn't be special moments of life where we're like, oh, now I really need counsel. No, we need this every day. Uh, and, we, and, and it's not just the pastors that do this, right? Everyone needs this. The pastors need this. We need um, others to speak truth into our lives too. We can be deceived by sin. And we do it by exhorting one another. And here, I mean, it seems pretty clear that part of that exhortation is to point out sin to one another at times. Warn each other about sin. And remind each other of the truth. How to live for God. Now... If there is going to be a, a community like this, what will it require? What, will, what would be necessary to have these kinds of qualities in a church, in our community, with, with one another? There's not just two qualities, but you give it a go. What do you think this would require? I think
2: we need humility to listen.
0: Mm-hmm. To yeah yeah we need to be humble we need humility that's actually one of the answers we need the the humility uh, of being of being approachable right that we would receive help from other people
1: uh, I think, uh,
0: I'm about
3: membership.
0: yeah what were you thinking of, Pradeep, I to think, do with membership?
1: I think uh, that's why membership is also important. Yeah. we commit one another, we will take yeah. love one another. Yeah. Without membership, we cannot do all the things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Like, this happens in the context of committed relationships, which is what we mean by membership in the church. Um, yeah. Because you, you... I suppose you could do this with everyone... But it would be really awkward if they're like, hey, I don't really want your help. I don't need your help. Get lost. You know, you'd be like, oh, you do need my help. I promise you, you know, It'd be a bit awkward. But when we commit to one another in membership, we're saying, I need help. Please help me. And you need help. I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. What else? wisdom. We need wisdom for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We need Wisdom. We need to know the scriptures well. We need to know what it says. We, know, we need to know how to interpret it rightly. Yeah, great. Confession. Confession, yeah, that's excellent. We need to confess. Good answers. What keeps you from exhorting other people? Fear of Rejection? Fear. Fear of rejection. And so in order to be... we need, Yeah, we need courage, right? We need the courage. We need the courage to be honest. Ooh. That's the second answer in this booklet. But you're right. These, these are all the answers you've given are good ones. So we see like that, you know... For us to have this in our church, it's not just enough for us to know it, but we actually have to be humble enough to receive it and wanting it, desiring it, because we know, like, oh, yeah, I, I'm deceived by sin. And we need to be bold and courageous to say, hey, I want to talk to you about something uh, that, you know, even when we feel fearful that it might be not, we might be rejected or it might not be received well. And obviously we need wisdom, like you said, Vipin, to be able to do that well. You could do it like, you know, like a blunt force trauma. You know, there's an illustration in a book I read where it talks about, you know, like when you're doing surgery on someone, you want to make as small an incision as possible. So you use a, a, a really small scalpel, you know, rather than like, an axe, you know, that's going to probably cause some damage, you know. And the same is true with us giving counsel to one another, right? We we want we want as little pain as possible, uh, but we have to sometimes like make an incision, you know. Um, so yeah, hopefully, yeah, that's helpful. So there's wisdom in knowing how to do that. We need to be skillful in doing this. Um, let's keep going. So how does God change us? We've considered why we need help, we need help, but how does God help us? How does he change us? And we'll see that, see that here from um, Isaiah 55. Uh, Kanoa, would you read this aloud for us? Mm-hmm. Thanks.
4: For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, bringing, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up to the cypresses instead of the briar shall come up to the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be
0: cut off. Okay. Now this, at first glance, might seem like this is a weird, random text to pick for like a counseling class, but um, what do we see here? What uh, what is being described in the in these verses? What's being described? God's word. God's word, yeah? So he, he uses this metaphor in, in verse 10, but he's talking about, what's he talking about? He's talking about my word. This is the Lord speaking, of course, right? And what does he liken it to? Rain and snow. Rain, snow that come down from heaven. And he says they don't return, but they Turn into water. They water the earth. They turn into water. And what effect, what's the purpose of the rain and snow? What, do the, what effect do they have? Cultivation. Say that again, Kesha.
2: Cultivation.
0: Cultivation or... Food.
2: Food. Life.
0: Life, fruit, growth. Right? Do you see see fruit? (coughs) Maybe in that word bread, right? So God's word brings forth, it goes out and it brings forth things. What else do we see its effect? uh, What else do we see about the word of God and its effects? Again, not a trick question. Yeah, it accomplishes His purpose. It always, it always succeeds. His word never fails. It's amazing. It, he says it in the negative, and then He says it in the positive. It will not return to Him empty. It's, it never doesn't do what He's sent it to do. It always accomplishes what He's purposed. He will succeed in the thing that He sent his word to do. And what do we see here in verses 12 and 13? What what kind of effect does it have? Worship. Worship. Mm -hmm. Joy. Peace. Singing. Clapping hands. This is a metaphor, but it's It's a picture of, it doesn't just bring life and growth, it brings joy and gladness. And he gives a comparison at the end. Instead of the thorns, what do you think the thorns are?
3: I think the opposite of joy.
0: Yeah. Where did thorns come from? From the curse, right? From the fall. From sin that leads to death. Instead of that, will come up the cypress. You guys all know about cypress trees, don't you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just think of a thorn bush and then the opposite of a thorn bush. A great, big, lush, green, you know. Thorns are painful. Cypress is lush and green. Same with the briar, you guys probably don't know what a briar is, I don't really, need, I'm not like an expert on uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, plants, but it's, it's a bad thing. It's, a, it's something that doesn't have a lot of green or life on it, instead the, the, there's myrtles and they have life and green. Yeah. And then, and then pardon me? Briar is prickly,
5: scrambling, scrambling,
0: scrambling shrubs. Yeah, there you go, prickly, scrambling <laughs> shrubs. Scrubs. Yeah, not good. Not what you want. And it will make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that will never be cut off. This is what God's word accomplishes. This is what God's word does. And so how does God change us? Through his word. Through his word. Through his word. Now, I know you guys know these truths. I know that you're not like, oh. That's how he does it. <laughs> Never heard that before. But it's important for us to remember. So often when people come and they are struggling or they're hurting or they're wrestling with something, or maybe there's sin in their lives, we think, like, oh, what do they need? What can I what could I give them? Uh, maybe maybe if I could fix their circumstances, maybe I could change their situation, maybe I could give them what could I give them? But the thing they need. Is God's word. It brings joy. It brings life. It it doesn't always ch- take away our bad circumstances, does it? But it fuels our faith and it changes us, so that we deal with our uh, difficult circumstances or our sin uh, in faith. Next, we'll see uh, another thing that God uses to change us in Ephesians four eleven through sixteen. Tobin, why don't you read this one for us? But it's incredible. What's the purpose that we hear uh, here for why God has given these different various roles, um, these offices in the church um, in verse 11? Why, why, why did he give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers?
2: To build
0: up the body. To build up the body. Yeah, we see that here. For building up the body of Christ. Yeah. To
4: equip the saints.
0: Yes. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So often we're tempted and we have to kill this this wrong view of church. Is that the pastors are the ones who do the ministry. If there's a problem... (gasps) call a pastor. Hey, get him on the phone and tell him, hey, I noticed this person is doing whatever, is struggling or doing badly, right? Now, the pastors are there to shepherd and care for and love the flock. But here, what are they, what are they there for? To equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's actually a really bad idea. I think, I don't know where it started from, but to call the pastors the ministers, that's actually the members. They're the ministers. The pastors should be called the equippers. Um, And so here, that's part of why we have this class, is to try and help you guys to be equipped to do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Yeah. So And what's the result or what's the goal at the end of of this kind of ministry that pastors and teachers are equipping you for and that the members are doing together? What's the goal? Verse
1: 14,
0: so that we may no longer be children. Yeah. So there's a negative here. No longer be children. And children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Okay. So that's the negative. We don't want that. What's the positive?
1: Speaking the truth, love.
0: Yeah. Speaking the truth. This is the way that they do ministry. Mm. What are they doing? They're speaking the truth. So they're bringing God's word. They're speaking the truth in love. They're not speaking the truth in anger, frustration, or disappointment, or in a belittling way that makes other people feel stupid and foolish. No, they, we're, we're, all of us are called to do this in love. So that, so that we are all growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is kind of the idea of maturing, right? He's, he's mentioned that up here. Until we all attain the unity of the faith through the knowledge of uh, the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the picture here is, we all start off as babies, and then as we are equipped, and as we are serving and helping one another, we start to grow up. We're not babies any longer, then we become toddlers in Christ. And then after being toddlers in Christ, we become youth in Christ. And after we become youth in Christ, we become mature. We become grown-ups in Christ. And... Look at how he describes how this happens. It's through speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who's the head. That's Christ. He's already said that. But from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together so that every part is involved in this, right? We're joined together with every joint with which it is equipped. So we get that idea of equipping again. When each part is working properly. Makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. And love is mentioned again. So. A healthy church is a church. Where all the parts of the body. Are doing this work together. And. That people are growing. So hopefully we have baby Christians in our church. And hopefully we have some youth Christians. In our church. And hopefully we have some adult Christians. In our church. I don't mean in terms of actual age, I mean in terms of their maturity in Christ, but hopefully you guys are growing up in Christ and that as we do this work with one another, we're all we're, we're doing bodybuilding we're building up the body of Christ and it's beautiful it builds, it builds itself up in love and so what, how, does God, how does God change us? He changes us through his word and what else?
4: His church, his people.
0: His church or his people. Yeah. Yeah. Any questions? Any comments? Any thoughts? I want to open it up.
4: It's interesting that you know, when God created us, He created us with the like the need for help, mm. but He didn't leave us alone mm. like, uh, it's It's so encouraging for my heart to know that he's still speaking through his word, mm. and he's speaking through his people,- mm-hmm. like uh,
0: yeah, 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 for sure. And he gives us a helper, right, to actually do this work. He gives us a spirit that's called the helper. Yeah, anything stand out? Anything? I want, I want to open it up to you guys to share your thoughts or comments. I
1: think applying, applying these things, I mean, we accountable one another mm-hmm. and share our problems. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like very really hard to share, but I think yeah. it's good to be accountable with at least two, three persons so that uh, if you're struggling somewhere, they will know and they will help you also.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. We we struggled to do this, to live this out, even though it's it's pretty. Ba- this is basic Christianity, yeah. you know. Um, to be a follower of Jesus is to help others follow Jesus. And it's basic to the gospel, right? Of course we know we need help. That the Son of God had to come in the flesh to die for us because we needed help. That's how much help we needed. The eternal Son of God came to do this for us. So it, shouldn't, it doesn't surprise us really that we, that we need help. The thing that makes it really hard is that we don't really want to be needy. Mm -hmm. We don't wanna be, have the humility to ask for help. We wanna be like, we wanna be like, well, we've got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's just pride. Yeah. So let's think a little bit about some of the principles we've considered as we conclude. So to be human is to need help outside of yourself. Pretty basic. And everyone who suffers, everybody suffers from spiritual blindness because of sin. So that's where we get to Genesis 3, right? And and the Hebrews passage we considered. And then finally, God helps us change through his word being shared by his people. And we saw that from Isaiah and from Ephesians. So let's think about this. How does this apply to our own individual personal relationship with Christ? How do you think that this applies?
3: I think if we're ever going to help other people, we need to... Daily recognize our need for help.
0: Yeah.
1: Another thing I'm thinking, like it shows our weakness that we are, we need some help, and and it's important relationship with God and with others also.
0: Yeah. Good. Anybody? Else?
3: Also admit that we need God's word. Mm -hmm. Even passages we think we already know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, asking that. Um, that God would use his word to reveal the blind spots mm-hmm.
0: yeah so asking God to reveal our blindness prayer yeah need one another. yeah so, our personal discipleship to Christ is never private and individual. Yeah. We
1: need good expository preaching, church.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we need to hear preaching from God's word. What's the second word, preaching? From, sorry, my handwriting is terrible. (laughs) Is that any better? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: I think one of the things you mentioned is just pride. So like to grow in humility.
0: Yeah. It's terrible, sorry. Yeah, we need to grow in humility. Great. And what would you, what, uh, we've, we've talked about this some, but throw out just some simple ways that this would be seen in a church that embraces the truths that we've been thinking about today. What would our community look like? like what kind of actions would we be doing or what what would it feel like to be part of a church like this one-to-one relationships to to. yeah we'd have relationships that are meaningful and deep with one, one-on-one with other people yeah cuz cuz you can't do this like when you gather with the whole church, you know, like if we, you know, we're not going to have a, a plan, a meeting and be like, now we're all going to point out each other's sin. Who goes first? You know, no, it's, it needs to happen in individual personal relationships. Yeah.
3: To loving and courageous to- commend people with their virtues and confront people with
0: their weaknesses yeah we need to be courageous we'd have to be really brave to do primarily i think we need courage to tell people like the ways that we see maybe that they're deceived by sin yeah but we we'd need to care you know so we'd need to lovingly encourage when we see good and, like say hey i see you following jesus in this way that's awesome Keep that up. That's awesome. Anything else?
5: It's an attractive community. Yeah. You would yeah. want to be part of that. Yes. And we, we all generally will look like Christ even more.
3: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. We'd be a a growing church and I don't mean numbers, though that would hopefully happen too. I mean like we'd be growing in love and joy and kindness and all those ways, yeah. It'd be a compelling community is, is the way one book puts it, yeah. I think this kind of church, if we really embraced these things, we'd feel safe. We'd feel safe. I, I know I'm going to screw up. I'm going to mess things up. But I know these people know they need help, and they know I need help. So I'm with them. And I can tell them, oh, man, I messed up this week. This week was, this was a messy week, you know. Yeah. What else? Yeah,
5: I'm just like yes. Um, everybody is should be striving towards these things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I mean, honestly, in churches, not everybody is going to understand this way. Uh, I mean, this is basic Christianity, as what you said, but not everybody is going to think of it in this way. Mm. So sometimes, how can we still be, um, thinking to, how can we still be authentic, um, in these ways? Even when your community, mm. my, your church community, even though sometimes they have a lot of head knowledge, mm. but it's not really portrayed in how they do a lot of things. Or, mm. You know? Um, yeah. How can we still be um, authentic and just also be like, hey, like, yeah, like, like how you said, like, I, I, I've screwed up or things like that? You know? mm. It's tough when it comes to those situations because mm-hmm. you want to be authentic and not care about everybody around you. And, all of those things. So I'm, I'm just, I'm scrambling here. Yeah, no. It's, it's, it's just honestly a very big struggle when everyone's like, oh man, like it's going to be okay. Just read uh, Philippians four. you know? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. But yeah. It's just very annoying and very disheartening. hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think what you're wrestling with is like th- this is the ideal, right? This is the goal. but we're, But we're not we're not going to, we're not, I mean, and even a church, you wouldn't want a church that's just filled with really, really, really mature Christians and no baby Christians because that would mean something else is going really wrong, right? Um, and, and there could be a kind of a perfectionist bent there which goes against what we've just been talking about, about how we need help. We're needy people. Not perf- we're not perfect people. There's no perfect disciples. There's mature disciples but, there, but there's no perfect disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think, what, what do you think we can do um, to kind of counteract some of those things that you're, you're concerned about? What do you guys think?
3: I think to find satisfaction in the gospel, mm. um, to always remind people that Um, we by grace have been saved, Mm and we are growing in Christ by His grace. Mm -hmm. We know more than we are doing now because we're even learning more and we are taught more, but it's still God's grace through Christ who Mm -hmm. accomplished the work on the cross and who gives us grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's right. Remembering, keep continuing to remember the gospel. Like humbles us. So it sounds like what you were describing. Can it's like when we can start to be tempted towards that pride again? Like, oh, I've got all the answers for you, and I figured it all out. Um, where it's like, yeah, we we got to remember some of these basic realities that, like, actually, we need help. Even even if we're mature Christians, we still need help. Help preceded sin entering the world, and it it's. Uh, it's part of who God made us, um, but yeah, we'll make we'll make mistakes too, right? That there'll be moments like where we, we, and part of what what we're going to be thinking about in this class is how to apply these realities uh, faithfully and winsomely. So we'll get to kind of speaking the truth. That's really at the end of the whole of the whole thing, you know. Um, it's funny because it's like classes nine and ten are are going to be about um, speak, um, so we'll consider those later. But yeah, we just need to keep remembering that we we're we're desperate people that are desperately needy, and and that that gives us patience with people when they don't get all of those things. But hopefully, I mean, part of what you might be able to, to do from this class is to share these things with others. You know, talk to them. Let me uh, conclude there and then we'll pray and then I'll have a, f- a few final announcements. Let's, let's pray and ask God for His help. Heavenly Father, we, we praise You that You have spoken to us clearly in Your Word and that Your Word tells us that even before sin entered the picture, uh, we were made dependent upon you. We were made in need of help, and not just from you, Lord. We needed help from other people. It was not good that man should be alone. Um, Lord, so we we pray that these realities would uh, be a daily thing that we recognize, that we would see our need, we'd see our weakness. Lord, we pray that we would see uh, that you help us, and you transform us, and you change us through your word being applied in our lives, and that you do that in the context of relationships, in the context of a church, Lord. Pray that we would see our need for one another. And Lord, we pray that that would be something that's cultivated in our church more broadly. We pray that we would see our neediness and that our neediness would be seen in our desperate prayerfulness. Lord, that we ask for your help. Lord, would you help us to kill pride and grow in humility that we would We'd be willing to acknowledge our need and to even ask for help from others. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the skills and the gifts to be able to speak the truth uh, wisely in love. Uh, give us the heart that seeks to care for others and to, to um, help them grow in you. And Lord, we do pray for our church to, to mature, to grow, uh, grow up in, in the likeness of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen, Amen.